This week is sponsored by IRM UK, a great data governance conference, honestly, possibly the most stacked data governance conference I've ever seen, but uh, that's going to be in the UK in mid-March. There are lots of great speakers, including past Data Mesh Radio guests like Kendall Mari, Ole Ulysen Bagnew, Vanessa Erickson, Liz Henderson, and the data governance coach herself, Nicola Askham. We're going to be having uh, three episodes this week, two interviews, and a panel on around data governance and MDM and things like that when it comes to uh, data mesh and kind of modern approaches to governance. So you can get a 10% discount to the conference if you use the code DM10, or you can just check the show notes for more information. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding, and is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. Get ready for an unparalleled experience in the world of data. Join us in London for IRM UK's Data Governance and Master Data Management Conference Europe, happening from the 11th to the 14th of March 2024. Immerse yourself in five dynamic learning tracks and explore real-world applications of master data management and data governance. With case studies and contributions from world-leading organisations, including Accenture, Bearing Point, BT, Capgemini, and many more. Plus, you'll get ample opportunity to forge invaluable relationships with over 250 attendees from across Europe and beyond. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your understanding of data governance and master data management. Visit irmuk.co.uk forward slash DGMDM to view the full agenda, meet the speakers, and register today. Episode 288, a panel, Master Data Management in a Data Mesh World. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Ole Ulysen Bagnew is the chief evangelist at Zenea, as well as the guest of episode 82, facilitated a discussion with Pete Strangwold, who's the CDO at Microsoft Netherlands, as well as guest of episode 20, Liz Henderson, aka the Data Queen, who's a board advisor non-executive director and mentor in digital and data at Capgemini, as well as guest of episode 106, as well as Samia Rahman, 
who is the Director of Enterprise Data Strategy, Architecture, and Governance at CGen slash Pfizer, as well as a guest of episode 67. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. So the topic for this panel was modernizing master data management, you know, MDM, and applying that to data mesh. It's a very, very challenging topic to cover because even people's general definition of really what is MDM, what is modern MDM can be pretty different. And there is a question between simply mastering data versus trying to globally compared to locally manage master data. It's a, it's a very tricky topic, especially to data mesh. I sometimes use the term in this uh, of mastered data because I think it is more applicable in that situation than master data. You know, mastering data would be like audio goes through mastering process when, you know, they're creating the the kind of best quality version of it. So you can master data, but then there's also what is kind of quote unquote master data. And that's that core linking data where somebody says, okay, this is how this has to conform rather than what it specifically is at the um, domain or the data product level. So it, it gets really complex, but you know, it's just kind of my definition that I'm trying to, to use in this, um, especially in this summary. So, and as per usual, I'm only going to be sharing my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of panelists' views individually. Um, and there is a little bit of a misstep around intros in there. So if it gets a little bit uh, confusing uh, for a, a hot second as to why some people are introducing themselves twice, it's it's uh, totally normal. Don't worry about it. So here are my top eight takeaways. But again, there's always uh, lots more. I think there's 12 more in the, in the show notes as well um, from this specific panel. So number one, the historical impression of MDM, you know, striving for that single golden record, it just plain needs to change. We're trying to head down that path in a federated and decentralized approach is even more difficult than in a centralized world. And MDM in a centralized world is very hard. And the benefits just keep proving out to not be worth the costs, right? That historical approach of MDM, the benefits aren't, aren't worth the costs. They haven't been seemingly for a while. Number two, you need to consider your master data management strategy to do data mesh well. I'm really starting to think this is coming through. You have to think about how everything plays together instead of just at the data product level. Do you, do you want official sources of truth relative to specific questions? Who owns data quality for that core linking data, et cetera? You don't have to get it perfect at the start, but if people don't trust the data on the mesh, your mesh implementation probably fails, right? Mastering data can improve the quality, especially the provability of that quality, and, and thus trust. And without strong linking data between data products, do you just have high quality data silos? But again, it's all push and pull here. There isn't a perfect answer. Number three, relatedly, there's a tipping point in an organization related to size and complexity where you need to start considering something like data mesh. There's a tipping point in a mesh implementation where you really need to start to push for MDM or how you're going to think about how your data links together and that you don't uh, just, that, that there is a central forcing function to get it so that there is actually interoperability between data products. It doesn't have to be on day one, but you should plan from the start that you will be focused on MDM. 
number four at MDM, at, at least done well, is not about getting to perfect data. It's about understanding the needs of your organization and helping people get to the right quality level and providing core data when it's needed. Not all data needs mastering. Not all data is master data. Number five, there's a difference between single source of truth and most trusted source of truth, right? It's absolutely okay to designate sources of truth for specific questions. Other data sources may provide different perspectives on the same topic. You know, what is a customer? That's going to be different in sales and marketing and finance. But there needs to be one right, repeatable answer for things like regulatory reporting or financial statements. Number six, one reason MDM is such a risk to data mesh, and this is something that Jamak has talked about for a while, is to be effective, some part of mastered data essentially has to be centrally managed in some form or fashion. You need ways for domains to adhere to central standards, guidelines, policies, etc. That can be guided rather than fully owned, but you need that central kind of steering function around this. Uh, without that kind of steering function, you risk silos. But again, the whole kind of concept of data mesh, centrally managed often leads to inflexibility and poor scalability. It can be tough to thread this needle. Look to provide the value add from MDM, but limit the overhead and rigidity. I know, far easier said than, than done. But how that will apply to your organization should be specific, right? It's not going to look like exactly like anybody else's. Go talk to others in your space to very specifically understand their approaches and ask the specific questions. There is no one size fits all. There's no copy paste. This is going to be hard to get MDM right in how you think about how your data interoperates with each other. But if you don't have that interoperability, again, You've got data silos, great high quality data products, but they're data silos. Number seven, if you are going to do MDM in your data mesh implementation, much like with anything in data mesh, test, learn, and iterate. Don't do a huge upfront implementation or it will cost far too much and limit your agility and flexibility far too much, right? A lot of the early days of a data mesh implementation are about learning how to do data mesh. It's not as much about value delivery as it is about learning how to do things. So don't limit yourself in your ability to learn. Plan some aspects of your MDM implementation out ahead of time. Again, do that. But trying to do everything at the start is a massive anti-pattern. And the last of my top eight takeaways, again, more in the show notes, but there's a massive push and pull in data mesh, one where you have to find the right balance specific to your organization this balance between master data and maintaining the do domain level meaning and understanding of data in domain-specific data products. This is where the enterprise data warehouse often goes very wrong, focusing on that only fitting the data together, you know, that master data concept at the expense of the data's actual meaning and uniqueness. But it's a balance, right? You can't just say, we're going to have it be nothing but unique because then you don't have that interoperability. You know, and then just kind of a very personal note on this. I, I often call this local versus global maximization. I talk about that a lot of times in value, but specifically here, this is related to business context, right? Do we think about kind of global concepts or do we think about only very, very specific domain level concepts? 
Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Data Mesh Radio. This is a panel on master data and data mesh. So my name is Ole Olesen banjo I am the chief evangelist in Cinea, uh, a data catalog uh, company based out of Paris, France. I am also the author of the Enterprise Data Catalog published by O'Reilly and generally a quite seasoned data uh, manager and architect uh, based out of Copenhagen, Denmark. And I'm here to get today with uh, Pete Heinstrenghold, Samia Raman, and Liz Henderson. And we will be discussing uh, master data in, in Data Mesh. Liz, would you care to introduce yourself? Thanks. Liz Henderson, board advisor, non exec director, mentor, and data queen in the field of digital and data, where I empower organizations and individuals to unlock the full potential of their data through leadership and guidance. And Pete Hein, would you care to continue? Absolutely. Pete Hein Steigold, I'm the uh, Chief Data Officer for Microsoft the Netherlands. I'm also the author of the book Data Management at Scale. Second edition came out recently. Uh, beside that, I work long for ABN AMRO, implemented there what you could call out the first edition of a data mesh. And thanks to that, I constantly blog on medium.com, LinkedIn, so uh, lots of people will know me from that. And finally, Samia. I am Samia Rahman. I am the Director of Enterprise Data Strategy, Architecture and Governance at CGEN. I started uh, being a data mesh practitioner in the early days when Jermak had published her article. Uh, we worked together um, and then um, I was at ThoughtWorks. And then eventually I had the opportunity to implement master data management uh, or master data um, at CGEN, which is now part of Pfizer. I think to set the stage uh, that master data is 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 a paradox in in uh, in data mesh. We have to assure uh, certain types of data at a level where we can call it master data, and yet uh, what nurtures and hydrates a data mesh. Is, is the semantic sprawl of data <clears throat> from various domains. So for me personally, and apparently for a lot of people, master data has been a, a real mystery in terms of uh, how to implement that, how to think about that in a, in a data mesh. I don't think there is one answer, but to set the stage a little bit, I would like to ask all three of you what you think of it. And why not start with you, Samia? Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of master data, how do you think uh, master data plays into a data mesh? Uh, what's to avoid? What's certainly to, to consider, and so forth. 
to me, based on uh, not experimentation, but the application of data mesh principles, there is a place for it. Um, oftentimes, through the m many um, experiences I've had in data mesh, people think master data is for all data. I think amongst us, probably, I'd be curious to hear, it is not the only data in enterprise. Uh, what I've uncovered is master data is the highly reusable data product that can be reused by multiple parts of the business. Uh, customer is a great one. And also not many parts uh, or not many companies actually need master data. You can totally continue with business operations and have duplicate customer data across your organization because you you're, you had different types of products that emerged in your company. Um, but as you scale up, that's there's a tipping point when you start, start to uh, have to invest in that customer master data uh, because there is high duplication of cleansing costs or you're mis missing your shipments to the right customer at the right address because uh, your commercial team has a different address at the point of sales versus the supply chain team has a different address for the same customer. Um, and that's typical in the biotech space. Um, I, I haven't applied it in other spaces, but I would imagine if I'm in a startup, I would have the concept of a, a global customer identifier from day one, as opposed to this proliferation of, oh, I have uh, different off-the-shelf products for supply chain, different products for um, uh, your uh, 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 sales team, your marketing team, and so on. So that's where I see as master data, which in my opinion should also be redefined as the core data entity in an enterprise, as the most relevant or the best version of truth. Uh, for that we use. So it does have a space in data mesh, but I think in data mesh, it's um, it it calls for have that globally federated identifier available so that you can reuse or even stitch together the various aspects of that entity across these different subdomains within your business. Um, and I have a lot more thoughts, but I'll open it up to the other folks. Uh, that's my little bit of intro on what I see master data as data in data mesh. Thank you, Samia. Thank you. I have a lot of comments to what you said also, but we need to get uh, the, the, uh, around the table before we open the discussion more. Liz, I saw you taking a lot of notes. Uh, uh, would you like to... Would you care to share some of the thoughts that 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 uh, you were um, scribbling down? Sure, yeah. Because as Sammy was talking, I kind of my neck, my hairs on my neck went panic. She said, well, "We don't need master data," and then I kind of just relaxed a little bit. As um, you said about as the company evolves, however, I still challenge that and say that from day one, you need to be thinking about master data because I think it is really important. But where I actually think Mesh and MDM come together is in the data products. For me, it, it's so obvious, and maybe I'm missing something that we can come out in the conversation. But if you've got a customer data product or a vendor data product, surely that's master data. And the master data management for me is just managing the data so it becomes trustable, usable, and you can believe in that data product and use it. So whether it's a a change of terminology to what we call master data management or whether it's 
okay, we have master data management, the outcome of that is a usable data product. I don't know, but I just see it really simply. I don't know what other people we can explore that later. Yes, definitely. Thank you for chipping in. And and Peter and I, I, for the the listeners, uh, I, I just want to briefly say that and you, of course, know this, Pete and I'm a big fan of your book. I, I read uh, the first edition and I was a technical reviewer on the second. Um, I find it very pra- pragmatic, uh, so I love the, the book. Um, and, of course, you have a lot of deep insights into uh, to master data just as the other participants. So so would you care to share some of your ideas that you have put forward in your book and your papers on, on Medium? Yeah, absolutely. And there's even a chapter of master data management in the book. Um, but before that, so my name is Piet Heinz Strengelt. I'm the chief data officer for Microsoft the Netherlands. And I work long um, in the role of chief data architect at ABN AMRO. And there, I think we started something, what you would call uh, maybe today a data mesh, but that was even way beyond before Samak released her first paper on Martin Fowler's uh, website. Um, and there, I think we forgot to implement master data management from the start. So we started off with that initial idea. So we start to federate and democratize data management throughout the organization. We will establish domains, but then, oops, we forgot about data management. And it's critically important, (laughs) I learned, because what we observe there is if you don't apply any master data management, consumption at the end becomes a horrible experience because all teams and domains need to start to unify and correct data all for themselves individually. So it's a tremendous repeated effort you see on the consuming side. So we were thinking then how to bring that back one step into the architecture. And indeed, so there are data products, but there's also something that expands across data products. So what we learned um, while using the book or the framework DAMA, DAMA version two at that point, there's a big difference in reference data and master data. Reference data, you can easily apply within data products. So when you build out data products within your domain, you could say, well, take country code, for example, the Netherlands, you can spell it as NL, NLD, NAD, you could use the country code. But if you don't set guidance, all of these teams themselves and individually do reference data management, what they think might be necessary. But then at the end, you have a horrible experience. So that's, I think, something you can think of of setting standards for developing data products where reference data management is part of. But the master data management, you cannot do easily within a single data product because you need to combine data from multiple different domains because customer data might sit everywhere in multiple different domains. So master data management then falls apart in reference data management, which you can do then in data products and master data management or the mastering of master data. And that's, I think, a discipline that yeah, sits further away from these domains. It can be a new domain. It can be uh, be done by a central team. But you cannot do it easily within an individual domain is something I learned. And there, people are often confused because then what is the difference between an aggregate uh, within data mesh, for instance? So, and I think that's a nice question I would like to put here on the table. And who's willing to jump on this? So what is then the difference between an aggregate and mass data management, more looking at mass data? I, I can give my two cents there. So to me, aggregate data in any given domain, let's say I am um, in the supply ch- chain space, I want to calculate the number of sold goods or shipped goods, right? To me, that's an aggregate insight in a beautiful dashboard 
that sits atop all these transactional data that's been brought into the analytical space. While the master data um, over there, the supply chain is pro- is going to need that ship uh, the customer's name and the address. To me, that's a a part of that aggregate data product. So, in in my experience, aggregate data products are actually high uh, um, users of core data or master data products because they use that to combine all this transactional data uh, to generate the higher insight. In um, biotech, you have to do transparency reporting to be in compliance about your drugs sold and there's no ethical bias to different um, governance bodies. And over there, you're looking at your financial data you're looking at your sales engagement data along with um, the shipped data. And all of that gets aggregated to say, hey, there is no bias. So to me, that's, again, a aggregate or even a fit-for-use data product, right? Um, but the core data or this customer data, it's a different flavor because it takes inputs from um, the highly... Um, or the the domain that might have the highest uh, uh, quality of that customer data. So typically in biotech, that's in the commercial space because they have they purchase a lot of uh, customer data. Healthcare professionals are always changing where they work, etc. They have multiple locations that they work in. So all that data, uh, typically commercial, is your input source. But then you take input source from other business domains. You reconcile it. Then you reshare that data to the same domains that contributed into building that core data. And then they update and correct their systems um, um, uh, accordingly. And there's a semi-automated process here because there's the technology can do automated match and merges with ML algorithms and so on. But there's that stewardship that needs to happen. So to me, core data is that complex data product, which requires that human-in-the-loop intervention to really make it that reliable source of truth. Whereas aggregate data, you don't really need the human-in-the-loop because you're expecting your input data to be of high quality. You're just running those calculations and you're spinning out the insights or uh, another reusable view that can be used by multiple customers. Um, so I don't know if that kind of resonates with you, Pitai, but to me, that's how I've experienced uh, the subtleties between the two. Yeah, I, I feel the uh, the aggregate is more close to the consolidation pattern, which you typically see within master data management, where we combine data, but we don't distribute back any insights or changes to the original sourcing domains or source systems, while the coexistence pattern, yes, within that, you distribute back the improvements. But then still what determines the scope, and I, I learned over the years, it, it's more purely when you look at master data, you don't start adding business rules or additional flavor, you change context or semantics, you stay within the realm of the master data core itself. I think then you're more close to master data management. As soon as you start curating, adding more data, changing the semantics, you enter more the realm of an aggregate uh, within the data mesh um, terms then. But they are really close, and it's uh, it's a subtle difference sometimes, and also depends on the pattern how you implement and use. I I would like to to be the devil's advocate a little bit here, because we are all uh, talking about um, this topic as if master data and data mesh blends <clears throat> quite nicely, 
and 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 there's no need to be pedantic about it. Of course, we can see that blend um, materializing uh, in serious data architectures. However, I think it's worth noting that Shemak Dagani in her book already in the beginning of the book, and I think it's page 22 or 23, warns about master data in terms of working uh, with master data in a data mesh personally and i promised scott not to rant too much as i am the facilitator of the panel personally i have experienced um like the hassle of master data and also sometimes the enormity of master data but without providing the answers myself that would be boring um do some of you feel like tipping in in terms of what is the challenge of what what is the thread of master data in a data mesh? I was just going to say, adding on to what Pitain said, the challenge around it and having so many different systems, I think that's where the challenge and that's where people get really like, oh my God, what what's going on? How do I know whether I'm taking master data from here or from here? And which one is the parent and which one is the child? And do I go back and amend and update that system? And that's where I think everybody kind of, it's too big, I can't do it, and they just don't do it. That's where calling it a data product makes it much more simpler and effective to um, understand. But I also think there's an opportunity for metadata and understanding metadata. Because if you start to have a really well-configured metadata, and metadata management is something that I don't hear a lot of. We get lots of, I don't want to divert the conversation, but lots of catalogue conversations but does anybody ever say, well, who's going to manage the metadata? Who's going to check it? And to me, you talked about the data steward being involved or the human interaction. Well, that's a perfect opportunity. Let's manage our metadata. But what I'm thinking is if you use the metadata, so what is sales? Sales could be before discount, after discount, when the invoice has been paid, when the debt's mounted up and we haven't had the debt paid. But what point do you understand what the actual sales figure really is? So using the metadata to identify which type of sales you want to utilize in your reporting is the same with master data. Which is the customer transactions you want to take from what period of time or what's the metadata that identifies exactly what it is you want? That would be my kind of view on all of that. It's interesting theory um, and <laughs> something I also discussed with a long time ago with my chief architect. If you, in a federated uh, decentral architecture, you see data passing by and being distributed between all of these different domains. From the metadata at the end, you can determine the overlap. So what is the commonality between all of these different domains? So what is their common or core concern? And I think from that, you can then start looking into so what actual physical data then we need to make part of master data management. Because if there's no overlap, you could also argue, well, why do we care and should we make it part of master data management? And that comes back to your point, Ola. So that's the threat huh? I often see where maybe the old pr practitioners, they like to create this single unified view on all data. And I think that's the threat to data mesh again. So, and I think there we should take it much more nuanced, huh? not manage and try to make all data part of master data management. But yeah, look at what's most critical. And therefore the metadata, I think, plays a crucial role. Uh, and I'll just share 
um, I've heard of many MDM uh, implementations being very, very expensive financially, not just people and process wise. It t- it's a multi-year effort. And so the business value is not seen immediately. Yes, I think there were a couple of points earlier made that we should think about core customer or the core data from day one. Yes, but with uh, that pragmatic execution, because if you overinvest early on, your time to value, that duplication cost that Pete and Pete and were talking about, you're not going to see an ROI. It takes $4 million to implement an MDM project, but you're only saving maybe three or four data stewards effort. That's not a lot of money. But if you are now seeing that you need 30 or 100 data stewards, that's a good cost avoidance. And that's where MDM might make sense. And in terms of uh, the threat of MDM, I think is um, that complexity in that space, like how do you actually implement those architecture decisions? But also um, the, the this, these notions of, oh, we, we need to invest in metadata and other um, or do centralized data governance. All these things can eventually actually bottleneck the system because commercial just wants to go super speed and they care about their sales targets. Supply chain is all about selling things. So they can't wait for MDM to be completely done to then start adopting it. So it's really important um, I think that product management on the data product side, um, the data product principles call out, you need to have your metadata associated with it. It doesn't say metadata. It says you must describe your data product so that it can be used by others. So to me, that core data at the right point in time when investment makes sense, you want to not only document itself and its uses, but any source data products that haven't been documented is the perfect opportunity to document those. Um, just scanning for metadata, in my experience, doesn't result in high value, at least in a well-known domain space. In biotech, the, the people who sit in the business, they really know their data. They have to be data savvy because that is with when you're developing a drug, it's all about data so that you can deliver the right drug to the right patient. And uh, they know their data. So framing that setup with product management mindset is really useful because it accelerates that conversations and also gives you that federated operating model. So uh, when we uh, applied this at CGen and we spoke about it last year, we saw that applying the data mesh principles gave us a f- faster time to value. It framed the conversations in the different departments appropriately. There was no friction between those departments. They recognized, hey, I am the provider. I don't really need to be the customer because I have good data in commercial, but finance and compliance, they really need the data. So yes, I will be a good citizen of the enterprise and share that data so that you guys can reuse it. Um, So to me, there's a lot of um, that master data management implementation as a practice or discipline is empowered by the data mesh principles. <clears throat> okay, so what about conti- I'm I'm going to continue to be the devil's advocate here a little bit, <laughs> and and then you can all uh, agree that I I was annoying afterwards. But I wanna I wanna um, I wanna make sure that we cover also um, the idea of 
the ubiquitous language of the domain. What was put forward initially in Eric Evans' book, uh, Domain Driven Design, uh, now more than 20 years ago, uh, published in 2003, I believe, the, known as the Blue Book. Uh, obviously, domain-driven design was invented for for software development and, and not for data. But Jean-Marc Degani uh, got inspired by uh, domain-driven design in what is, has now been coined as, as domain-driven design for data. And in, in that context, I think that data uh, mesh has a very unique uh, challenge in terms of, of, of master data, because this is the point exactly of a mesh, right? If you can actually call it something else than a mesh, you don't need to call it a mesh. But in such a, a setup, uh, the ubiquitous language is is something that, uh, of course, is, is native to a domain. Now, what happens uh, when, when you apply a master data initiative to that ubiquitous domain language. I maybe uh, this was a long question, but 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 Peter, maybe you should uh, take the torch. I remember we discussed this as as I remember. Yeah, I think first, then yeah, we need to agree on a common definition. So, what is a domain, and what is the scope and the size? I personally, there, I feel the the viewpoint Sam Magdagani uses is too fine grained. She comes from microservices, mostly software architecture. Um, same Eric even uses. I learned over the years, I think when managing data at large, it's probably better to use a bit more coarse-grained uh, viewpoint in that respect. So then you typically end up with business units or business domains, one or a few applications bundled together that uh, help to facilitate, to support the business, business capabilities I mentioned. Uh, and I think in that respect, so there you see the language being used by those business people and the application teams who maintain and develop these applications. That's, I think, what binds um, all of those people. And that's most likely also the, the language then to be used for you know, managing the data, describing the data, curating the data, developing the system. So that, that's, to me, the domain language. If you make it implicit and you put it in a catalog, then it becomes a ubiquitous language because everybody sees and recognizes it. So that's the difference between domain language, which is more implicit, uh, lives in our heads. Explicit is when you note it down in, an, uh, in a catalog, for instance. Mm -hmm. okay. But semantically, yeah, for sure, there's overlap. Huh? Uh, when we start using data from other domains, uh, we might maybe carry over that context in another domain and expand on that. Or maybe when we bring that uh, curated data forward again to another domain, we might even see a chain of um, data that's being used across throughout the organization. And what I don't hear much about, and maybe it's also interesting conversation here, is the knowledge graph in which we uh, semantically capture uh, all of that context. And, and from that knowledge graph, we link it to the physical data. Can, can we use that maybe not as a methodology or way to identify what data is most important and we should make part of master data management. And Ola, I think you're yeah. Mr. Catalog side. Yeah. I'm curious to hear from you what you feel and think about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I think that is very much correct. I actually hesitate a little bit here because I, I, I can't reveal all of our roadmap uh, just now, but that's something that we're working on very seriously in Sunia, Um at a more theoretical level uh, 
level. Uh, I I dare say um, that I think we have so far um, failed to address. Also, connecting back to what you said, Liz, about metadata, I actually think we have failed to address the same things that we're working on in, in a data mesh at the metadata level. I see too many solutions at the at the metadata level that suffer from the exact same things that the data mesh addresses directly at the data level. Meaning that, uh, as we all know, data mesh was invented to avoid these big centralized uh, bottlenecks uh, at an enterprise data warehouse or an enterprise data lake. These centralized platforms with a backlog that was so long that it killed innovation, right? Uh, I think to 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 a large extent that we have done the same thing for the metadata layer. The consequences are a bit different, but the result, uh, but but the the mechanics, so to say, is the same. Results in a in a lack of uh, possibility to correctly describe uh, your entire company um and to explore the data in your company in a in a smooth uh, and compelling way um that's as much as I'll share right now because it's it's a little blurry to me because we're working on exactly that topic and and, and you didn't know that Pidan but I I don't want to share too much about that right now um anyway I I have also been thinking uh but but thank you for the question Pidan it's it's I have a lot of ideas around uh, master data in the data mesh and I to me it's it's not a done deal I think it's you also wrote that in, in your book Peter and that there's still work to do right um, I think and I, I would like to know if any one of you uh, have experienced this but but I see um, <clears throat> the connection back to domain driven design as something where uh, the domain languages uh, and the uniqueness, uh, if I may say, of the domain languages is something that offer analytical potential. I think in a data mesh, if you want to do uh, whatever you want to use the data mesh for, uh, the, the, the languages of the domain offer a view into their universe that, that disappears with harmonization. Uh, to a certain extent. Now, of course, that is not to challenge the existence of uh, a shared truth and and hence master data that in in some cases. But the uniqueness of the of the domains disappears with harmonization. And I would like to know to what extent, if if you have seen it, to what extent has a has has a mesh architecture. Uh, uh, benefited from the understanding of protecting the uniqueness of a domain language. I, I don't know if this is a too complex a question. Uh, we may need to cut it out. I don't know if you if you if you have experienced this. Do 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 any of you? I can share a little bit. Um, so your question, just to play it back, is how does data mesh? benefit from harmonization or the other way around no exactly I, exactly the opposite and i'm sorry for for for, for asking such a <laughs> such a quirky question but it's just it's just i see one of the potentials of the mesh as something that protects the uniqueness of domains 
contrary to those centralized solutions where everybody has to agree on a complete canonical data model for the big enterprise data warehouse, we have the potential now to express data uniquely as it is expressed in domains and use that for analytical purposes. Now, I think that's at the core of why we have this clash between master data and data mesh. And I want to get into the I want to get into the weeds here, and I hope it's okay with the it is data mesh radio. I think we can do that. And then, have you experienced like any outcome, positive outcome of actually protecting the uniqueness of the data in the domains? Yeah, I think protecting the uniqueness of data is an essential part. And if you don't realize it, you're probably already doing it, right? Your your microservices application it's very unique to that operational need. Um, in biotech, I think Ole, you and I have talked about the domains are very well defined, but um, in, let's say, um, the research space or the drug development space, there's a lot of uniqueness. Every drug is unique. It treats a unique disease and so on. So the modeling, like the NCIH, uh, will model pediatric data differently compared to the adult data, right? So there's a lot of uh, modeling that they do based on that unique domain, and then those attributes emerge. And it's going to stay unique, but there will be a subset of those attributes, in my experience, that are universal in terms of the patient identifier, let's say, right? It's the same definition across the industry. If you're using the fire standards, everyone's using it across the board, um, across the world, but there are different versions of fire itself as well. So that... um, to me, core or master data, it's only tackling a few of the attributes. If it is trying to do more than that for an enterprise, you might be a smaller company and it'll work for you. But if you are a large biotech company or just a biotech company, in my opinion, it's you can't be mastering everything from research to the, to like your sales process. It's going to be just those like healthcare provider. What is the provider's name, identifier, and that's it, right? Patient, patient name, and identifier. Those are your unique, universal attributes for your enterprise. Everything else that associate with it are going to be custom and unique to that domain related to those entities. And there might be entities, when you're doing drug development, the concept of a patient still doesn't emerge. You're still doing things on animals or other ways of testing your drugs, right? So to me, that uniqueness is always there. And to go back to your question, I firmly believe from my uh, experiences over the last five, six years is data mesh, because of that data product and autonomy each team gets within a domain, they have to, one of the guiding principles is you must describe your data product. So if you are publishing and documenting your data product. It could be in the form of a knowledge graph, which I highly recommend with now the emergence of chat GPT um, or just GPT uh, uh, solutions out there. You can actually have chatbots implemented as a um, extension of your data product that helps the next researcher or the next salesperson get those quick insights by using natural language, right? So to me, Um, Data mesh is sort of the building block. Each data product has its metadata or description layer along with the actual physical data. And then when you start interoperating, now you get this beautiful 
knowledge graph emergence. And on top of it, you can build these unique domain uh, specific language models that can answer questions about that domain. Um, so to me, it, it's it's a huge uh, amplifier. Now, if you were to do it in the old ways of like centralized teams, those teams have struggled. I've, I've heard of teams uh, that are in central data warehouse teams. We struggle to deliver to this customer because we didn't understand their data. And the customer was frustrated because they didn't have the data engineers to help them um, curate the data. They had all the domain expertise. So I think data mesh really helps address that divide between the two groups and brings it together in the form of that unique domain data product. But there are differences uh, between uh, industries. I really, I see. So I work among some multiple industries and for example, um, in public services or the government, you see way more overlap between these domains. So you could not easily opt for, let's go all for unique domains and ignore uh, the, 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 the existence of others. That's, uh, I think, not helpful for, at the end, uh, the, the citizens um, who should operate on all of these services. And in, within banking, for instance, or insurances, um, lots of those large enterprises need to report out on the same dimensions for finance, for risk, for, uh, for audit, for ALM. So not easily, you can also then ignore the existence of other domains. So there, the unification then and the sharing part becomes much more important. But what I le learned over the years is the level of overlap. I think there you can vary and relax. So some maybe attributes are critically important for the entire enterprise. So those you then should brutally standardize upon. But maybe others maybe play only vital role within a subset of the organization. So you could say within the whole markets area, within banking, we standardize on the markets reference values or um, markets master data, for instance, but not in the other. So that's more shared. Uh, and there, uh, again, at last, there might be very local uh, data, which is only concerned for the domain itself, won't be used by any other. So yeah, why should you care and uh, put in disciplines on that, uh, for example? I do kind of agree, but I've also seen a risk. So I agree the description of the data product is absolutely critical and having sufficient information in that data product for people to understand what it is they're looking at and maybe even some definitions in that description. If we go back to the aggregated data product that we talked about earlier on, I see a potential risk that if some of the aggravated, aggregated data, not aggravated, <laughs> is got a definition of A and some of it has got a definition of B, where does that kind of combine and where is the user supposed to understand which definition is being used? Because that could get really complicated. That actually it could impact the quality of the data and when it goes on to be reused and how it's interpreted. That how does how does that risk get managed? It isn't it the aggregate data also has to describe what it's outputting with its description. So that it, it, it would actually uh, show that evidence of, hey, we combined this column and this column with these descriptions and introduced this new definition or calculation. And that would be the output for the users of the aggregate data. At least that's what I've done in my experience. Every data product, whether you're aggregate, no one gets away with, with like without describing what they are outputting. They have to. And for master data management, it's the same. So master data management solution, in my view, could also produce a new mastered version. So again, a new data product and the same rules should apply. 
Um, so there are different types then at the end of data products. And maybe depending on the type, you set more or less or different policies. So that's also something I see while working with customers. And that's where you need really strong rigor around the data products and describing them properly. And in my experience, working with IT teams and knowing that they don't process document the processes and how things are done, they'd rather keep them in their head. <laughs> I struggle to believe that there's many people out there that probably wouldn't bother with too much with a proper quality description. And that's a concern. It, it definitely is. I mean, I think it, 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 um, to, to some extent it come back, it comes back to, um, it's at least related to data product architecture, right? Is a data product, uh, what is the architecture of a data product when we look at it? We can all agree in, for example, the FAIR principles of findability and accessibility and uh, interoperability and reusability, to mention all of them. Um, but but what does a data product actually look like? Is it is it one entity in a, a quantum? Um, that idea uh, makes a at least in theory, makes a data product self-documenting, right? Um, but but that idea is also a vision. Uh, I I haven't at least, and maybe I am at, at risk of uh, exposing myself here, but I haven't seen such a reality. I haven't seen a self-documenting data mesh. Does that a thing? Does that thing exist? And if it doesn't. Uh, what are what are the ways we can meet the challenge of of lacking documentation that you address, Liz? Uh, this is for every one of you. I don't know who wants to go first here. Maybe Liz, you go first. <laughs> I don't have. I, I was going to say, any don't have much faith in things being documented effectively. It's a drum that I often bang around. Absolutely essential. I'd love to see self-documentation. I've seen a few solutions that actually can create definitions for fields and things like that. So I think maybe we're on the path towards that, but I still think there's a way to go. I don't know. Maybe other people have seen things in action. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, most of the things are more conceptually. I've seen some things. Uh, I saw some cool examples internally where you use project documents to um, automatically uh, uh, capture all the semantics and those semantics then you can use for linking it to the actual physical data product. Yeah, for self-documenting, I think it's more human documenting is what I've seen work effectively because self-documenting, the trustworthiness of that can quickly um, or degrade in value. But with the recent GPT being available, I was quickly able to get a data model as well as uh, descriptions for all the attributes for, let's say, I know I've been using the healthcare provider as an example, just type it in, anything or even a customer, it'll give you some. And I think that can accelerate the human documentation process because now you're giving a prompt to react or a answer or something to react to. And that creates the rapid curation of the data. I'm hoping that we have more of those available in the market where it's not just scanning the technical metadata and documenting that or uh, scanning, you know, your SharePoint documents or, or the project documents, but you're able to leverage large language models to analyze all those uh, data sets along with project documents, human written conversations, whatever, to give you 
good descriptors that are then corrected by the humans. Um, so I'm I am looking forward to that happening. I've been seeing teams starting to experiment with that. So it's exciting that, hey, you can have a self-describing data product every time a new release happens. Run your, you know, GPT or your uh, language model, get the descriptors, get the approver, whoever's doing the acceptance testing for your data product. Hopefully that's a business domain SME. They approve it. It's out as a version data product with the description. Because we're all better editors than we are creators when it comes to text. Nobody likes a blank sheet of paper, do they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Co-pilots will play a role definitely in that. Uh, I imagine still in a catalog in which we have a co-pilot and you can in natural language type in a question. So I'm this person working on these business objectives, this use case, knowing all the data that has been cataloged and described will propose um, what data do I need? And maybe in the back, there will be an, an engine even building that data product that aggregates for you. But that's, I think, a, a dream we all have still. We need dreams. <laughs> I, I can see the, people have talked about data contracts for data products. They have talked about uh, th there is a template by which you can configure a data product. I think most teams that implement the platform, they uh, build a configuration language. So if you have that um, uh, search, then it should tell you, hey, these are the data product inputs, outputs, generate the configuration language. And, you know, you have the, uh, the, uh, the backbone established for you to now continue to mature that data product. So we'll see how that involves. I'm excited. And Ola, back to you. How do you see, uh, see this, Mr. Catwalk? Uh, yeah, um, I... Uh, again, we are thinking a lot about this in Sydney, so, but uh, I will say so much that I think that uh, yeah, uh, data products being created uh, as we um, search for them and request them could definitely be something it, that it, it's not technically impossible to do that. It's, it's actually not that difficult technically to, to set that up, so, so why not do it? I mean... I see a lot of not very serious shopping experiences in uh, the data catalog world. Uh, we're not shopping for books or uh, or fruit when when we are shopping data. Uh, we're not assembling a recipe uh, and baking a cake. It's not the same thing. So um, asking for data product or shopping for a data product needs to be something else. And I definitely see the automatic generation of data products as something that could be very, very useful um, because it's driven by demand, not by um, not by happenstance on when what you put on, on the shelves. So so that is something that I, I would like to, uh, to, to, uh, to promote a little bit. Um, also, I think... Uh, uh, generally speaking, automation, of course, plays a very serious role that we need to take into account. I, I think you 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 said it well, uh, Samia, and also you, Liz, uh, in 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 the in the context of like, don't have too much faith in in humans. Don't uh, we we don't like to to start on on that blank page. So I definitely see um, the automation potential uh, as as the right uh, say level uh, uh of of interaction i think i during this uh, call i i did my best to to ask open questions to ask a more closed question or just to put it out there i don't think any of us would suggest 
doing master data on the basis of only uh, text and description generated by uh, by uh, by generative AI, right? We would need to have that human interpretation in between that effort and and actually reaching a level of, of master data. Um, I think we are uh, closing up. Um, in 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 conclusion, uh, just to take a round, maybe starting again with you, Samia. Uh, do you think we will reach a level where master data is perfectly mastered in uh, in data mesh? I think perfectly mastered is a myth. There is no such thing as perfection. It's always uh, at a given point in time what is the most reliable source of truth and. Yes, it uh, to me, those master or core data entities do have a place in data mesh. And they will, if they don't exist from day one, they will emerge as the business need and the um, uh, demand for minimizing duplication costs uh, or duplication efforts uh, will come across. And I'll just add a tiny note that I think MDM implementations, if anyone is embarking on those, will highly benefit from lower cost of implementation if they adopt data mesh principles. Um, it, you see that time to value a lot faster in, in my experience. Thank you. Liz, do you, do you think we are approaching a reality where master data and data mesh will live more in harmony? I add to what Samir said, just that there is no perfection in data. Data moves so, so quickly. And I do think there's a huge benefit from combining data mesh and MDM, taking the principles from data mesh, all that organizational ownership um, from the different domains on a federated basis is so important. And also rolling back to the return on investment, I'd really advocate whatever you do with MDM, don't get scared, start small taking those data mesh principles. Just prove that small area first, generate some value from it before you then go on to do the next set because that will really help you go forward. Thank you. And Pete Hine, to uh, clo a closing reminder. Closing off, yeah, I, th I think couldn't agree more huh? So what the other said and Liz, you uh, so start small, huh? don't boil the ocean at once. Huh? Um, but I also feel data mesh needs a revision uh, in that way. So master data management must be part of data mesh. So without, you see, tremendous rep repetitive effort on the consuming side when it comes to harmonizing, integrating, correcting, uh, correcting data. So, yeah, it should be definitely part. Uh, data mesh cannot um, go forward without master data management. Thank you. Thank you all of you for participating in, in this panel. Um, I must admit as a as my closing remark that uh, previously in my career, I have not been the biggest fan of, uh, of master data myself. Um, but I, I must admit, I think you're all right in the fact that we, we need to incorporate it and work more seriously with it uh, in a data mesh context. So once again, thank you all for for being on this panel and for fantastic quest uh, answers to the questions. I'd again like to thank the participants today, our facilitator, Ole Olesen Bagnu, who is the Chief Evangelist at Zenea, and our panelists, Pietijn Strangholt, CDO at Microsoft Netherlands, 
Liz Henderson, aka the Data Queen, a board advisor, non-executive director, and mentor in digital and data at Capgemini, as well as Samia Rahman, who's the director of enterprise data strategy, architecture, and governance at CGen slash Pfizer. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's, their books, and other relevant things in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I I swear. They give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show. Almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com, for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music.